This is a command that God has given us to go and to preach, to preach to Surrey, to preach to, to British Columbia, to your Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We need to do our part and to ask God, would you call me to be that missionary? Could I go and go to the uttermost parts of the world? Could I be a part of his great commission? Richard Beatty Mellon was born in March 19th of 1858. And he passed away December 1st of 1933, a name most of us probably have never heard before. He was referred to as R.B., part of the Mellon family. He was a banker, he was an industrialist, a philanthropist from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He and his brother, Andrew, so Richard and Andrew Mellon, were sons of a judge, Thomas Mellon, were frequent business partners. Richard served under Andrew at Mellon Bank and assumed its presidency in 1921 when Andrew was appointed Treasury Secretary. You could read more about their life. These two brothers did a lot together. They eventually become multi-millionaires. Big philanthropists, they gave lots of their money away to charity, and they were very generous brothers, and they were close to each other as well. And they both lived long lives. And there was something these brothers liked to do as a kid. There was this game they liked to play, and maybe uh, raise your hand if you've ever played this game before. This game is called Tag. Anybody ever played Tag before? Come on, tag. We've all played tag. If you haven't, even if you didn't want to play, somebody said tag, you're it. Even if you didn't want to play, you've been in, thrown in the game one way or another. These, these two brothers like to play tag, and they decided to play an ongoing game of tag for a long time. Now, there have been other variations of this in more recent years, but this is one of the oldest ones I've known about. And uh, they started a game of tag that lasted for over seven decades. That's not bad. So, you know, they'd see each other and they'd say, tag, you're it. And they had some kind of rules where you couldn't tag them back right away. They had to wait a certain amount of time. And I don't know how the game went, all how the rules went, but it was this ongoing game that they played with each other through their professional lives and all the way up until the very end. And Richard Mellon, the older one, uh, let's see here, he was on his deathbed, and doctors knew his time was up. He'd lived a long, full life, and his body was about to give out, and his brother, Andrew, came to his bedside, and Richard, with his last, his last words he ever said to the, to, uh, that were known, he had his brother come down to him, and he whispered to his brother's ear, and he said, Tag. You're it. The last tag. And he gave up the ghost. And he passed away just moments after that. There's, there's a lot of famous last words. I don't know if tag or it would be on that list. But I guess in a sentimental way, it was kind of a neat thing for his brother to know that's the end. And his brother, being the only other brother of the family, would remain it until four years later when he himself passed away. There's some pretty meaningful last words by dying people, some powerful ones from Christians, and, but I don't know if any of them can quite beat the last words of Jesus Christ. 
on earth. Jesus wasn't interested in the game of tag. His life on earth was a little more meaningful than that. Jesus here in Acts chapter 1, as we read here in verse uh, 1 and 2, verse 2 it says, Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen. Jesus Christ, according to this passage, had just died. He now was, uh, he had now ascended into heaven, but now he came back to earth. He had still a few things he had to to, to do before he officially left earth for the last time. Last time for now. We're still waiting for him to come back. He will come back. But at this point, he, he, according to this passage here, he stayed around. He, he would show up back and forth in verse 3 for the next 40 days after rising again from the dead. It says in verse 3, to whom he also showed himself alive after his passion, that's his death, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father, which he saith, ye have heard of me. Jesus had been seen of over 500 people in one instance and would show himself here and there to his disciples and to his closest friends. And we come here to verse number 8, and we see in this passage Jesus' last words, his last command on earth to his disciples. If I could say it this way, his last command should be our highest priority. So as we open the service in prayer, I want us just to see Jesus' three final statements to his disciples. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and for this message you've given to me through the scriptures. And I pray that you would be the one to speak right now, not me. That you would put me aside and may your spirit... Uh, be in the, the message today, and I pray that you would speak to hearts, Lord, as you have done to mine. And Lord, use this message, we pray in your name. Amen. First thing of the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples right here in verse 8. He says, but ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. The first statement and final statement that Jesus makes to his disciples is the promise of power. A promise of power. Jesus is looking at his disciples and he's about to give them a, a big task to complete. While after Jesus goes ahead, he's going to give his disciples some more things to accomplish. And before he give, tells them exactly what he wants them to do, he says, now, before I tell you what it is, I just want you to know I'm going to give you the power to do it. I'm going to give you the ability to accomplish the task that I have for you. Maybe you've heard this statement before. God will never give you a task that you can't complete. Anybody ever heard something similar to that before? Well, I'd like to say that's, that's kind of not necessarily true. There's missing something. If I could throw this in there, a truer statement would be more like this. God will never give you a task that you can't complete with his power. Because God gives us tasks all the time that we can't complete. Like we on our own. 
we don't have the ability to complete, but through his power we can. Let's say, for instance, I remember I was nine or ten years old. We were in the car, and uh, my dad, our, 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 we pulled up to a gas station. And my dad said, okay, son, I want you to get out of the car and pump the gas. I don't know why we still call it that. We're not actually the ones pumping it anymore, but go out and fill up your gas tank. Fill up the gas tank. So I'm nine or ten years old. And I said, sure. I, I had done it before. So I, you know, I get out of the car. Now I am nine, ten, however old I am. I am physically capable of putting gas in the car. I, I know how to do it. I know how to, you know, open the, the, the gas door. I know how to turn it. You know, you have to push it in. You have to hear the you know, I know how, I know how to put it, I know how to, I know what the buttons to press, I know how to put the, the gas nozzle in the tank, and I know how to hold the thing down, I even know how, the little trick, you know, to keep it so you don't have to hold it down the whole, you know, I'm nine or ten, I know how to do physically, I know how to, to fill the gas tank of a car. However, I could physically do it, but I can't financially do it. <laughs> I'm nine, I'm 10, I don't have money. I was the oldest child too. Oldest children didn't, didn't get allowances. For some reason, my younger siblings get money for doing things that I didn't get money for. I don't know if anybody else can relate to this. Maybe I'm just ranting right now. But I couldn't financially pay for it. My dad gave me a task that I, could, I, could, I couldn't complete without my dad's card, without his debit card. Without his credit card, I, I couldn't exactly do it. And Jesus, God has given us tasks to do throughout life that you or I, we can't fully complete without something from God. And that's exactly how it should be. God wants us to be in a place where, Lord, I can't do this. I need your help. God wants us to rely on him in life. That's faith. And that's what God desires. And he was preparing the disciples. He was about to give them a daunting task, but he wanted to reassure them first that I am going to give you the ability to accomplish this task. Now, I want you to keep your, keep your uh, finger here in this passage or your bookmark, but if you could turn over real quick to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. I just want to show you here. So in the verse we just read, but ye shall receive power. That word power in the Greek is dunamis. Dunamis. And this same word is used here many times, but this particular instance I like here in Matthew 25. And look in verse 15. Okay, so Jesus is uh, preaching right now. He, he's on a He's on a mountainside. He's preaching to his disciples here. In Matthew 25 and look at verse 15, Jesus, said, and he's, Jesus is now giving a parable to his disciples. And he's saying, And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability, and straightway took his journey. So the same Greek word dunamis for power used in Acts 1.8 is also the same word used here in Matthew 25.15 for the word ability. So the, the parable is Jesus 
is telling him this, uh, there's this nobleman who's about to go on a far country. So he gets his 10 servants together and he gives each servant a pound of money to look after for him while he's gone. He gives it to them according to their, their several ability, to their power. So this word power in Acts 1 is another word for ability, if you will, in the English language. But ye shall receive the ability after the Holy Ghost comes upon you to do what I'm about to ask you to do. God, so in a sense, it is true, God won't give you a task that you can't complete. Just You need his power to accomplish it in many cases. If you look in the next chapter of Acts chapter 2, we won't go there, but in Acts chapter 2, there's a famous passage of Scripture where Peter preaches at Pentecost. And man, this is where the Peter for the first time sees and experiences this ability to preach and do what God had called him to do. While Peter starts preaching, people in different languages start to understand what he's saying. That's power that Peter didn't have. That's, a, that's an ability that is beyond human comprehension. I remember a, a personal example is when uh, I was 17 years old, I remember God was telling me, Tim, I want, you to, I want you to train at a Bible college to become a pastor. So I, uh, I had given my life to the Lord, and I, I remember thinking, well, I can go to Bible college, Lord, but I just don't. It, Bible college is expensive, I didn't have the option of coming to our Bible college here, Pacific West Baptist College, which is uh, much, much cheaper than any other Bible college out there. The college I was about to go to was very expensive. It was in Southern California, which makes it even more expensive. And I remember going there, and uh, it took me a while to find a job, and I, I struggled, and I've told you this story before. Essentially, I got to a point where I had no money left. I was in debt, and I didn't know where else to turn, and if you don't pay all your bills off in time, you can't take your finals. And nobody wants to not take their finals because you don't get graded for them. And then you can't take your finals until you've paid for your school bill. That could take weeks. It could take months. You could forget everything. Most of us forget everything the day after our, our finals, much less three months after. So I remember saying, Lord, you told me to come here. You gave me a task to train for the ministry here at this place so I need you to keep me here. I need you to provide for me. You told me to come here, and now I need your ability. I need your power. And I remember I had this, uh, I worked at fast food, and I had this really measly check. I was going to walk up to the, uh, to the finance office and just give them everything. You know, just, I didn't, it wasn't even much. I was, I owed quite a few thousand dollars, and I remember walking up to the financial office, and I gave them my tiny little check and said, Take it. Just take it. <laughs> you know, just put it on my Scoville. I'll eat next year. Just take my, just take my money. I was kind of pouting. And, uh, and the, you know, the financier, she grabs my check and she pulls up my account and she says, okay, would you like this to be credit for next year? I said, uh, not credit. <laughs> I need credit. I need credit card. That's what I need. I, I don't know. No, just, just pay off. She said, oh, well, your school bill's paid off. So do you want me to put this on for next year? And I remember just thinking to myself, how is my school bill paid off and come to find out the church has a, a ministry where people can give money to to students who are in need and my name was on that list and my entire school bill was caught up and I remember going back to my room 
And all I could think about was God looking down saying, don't worry, I'll give you the power to do what I ask you to do. And it was almost as if God was waiting for me to get to a point in my life where I realized and I was reminded that I needed God. Sometimes we go through life and we forget we need God. Everything's going great. Everything's happy in life. Everything's wonderful. And we know we're thankful to God. But sometimes something needs to happen in our life for us to be reminded, oh man, Lord, I need you. And that was at that moment where I was reminded that God will give you the power. God gives us the ability to perform the task that he has given us. So there's three statements here that God gives, that Jesus gives his disciples before he leaves. And the first one is he gives them a, a promise of power. Ye shall receive power. But look at the next part of verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And we read about the Holy Ghost coming upon them in chapter 2. Here's the second statement he gives to his disciples. And ye shall be witnesses unto me. Okay, I could do that. I could talk about you to other people. Now I'm not finished. In Jerusalem, in all Judea, and in Samaria. Now they're breathing heavy. And everywhere else in the, in the whole world. I want you to be witness to me into the uttermost part of the earth. Can you see why Jesus started out with, I'm going to give you the ability to do what I'm about to ask you to do? Because now they were just given an impossible task. So he, first he gives them a, a promise of power. He secondly gives them this command to preach. To preach everywhere. He talks, he gives them some places. He says, in Jerusalem. So that would be like our Surrey. If you look at, we have a map over here. Uh, it says Acts 1-8 on the bottom. And it says our Jerusalem. That's from this verse here. Our Jerusalem is, it's Surrey. We've been given the same task from the disciples to be a witness in Surrey. Oh, but not just Surrey. That, this is impossible as it is. Reaching 600,000 plus people with the gospel. These are people who have their own religion. Who believe their own way to heaven. These are people who don't believe in God. This is a whole myriad of people that we have to witness to here in Surrey. It, even Surrey itself is really an impossible task to, to really witness and tell, tell everybody about Jesus. This is tough. But not just Jerusalem. What about the province of Judea? What about BC? There, there are more populated uh, provinces or states you know, in, the, in the world. But B.C., there's a lot of people. It's big. There's small communities way up in B.C. B.C. goes, I mean, it touches Alaska. It's huge. How are we, Lord? I, uh, <clears throat> and then, I like this next one here. <laughs> Jerusalem, all Judea, and in, what's the next place? Samaria. Now, to us, it's just a place, but to a Jewish person, what, what Samaria means to them? Samaria is like, we don't like Samaritans. They're the half Jews, half uh, Gentiles, really. They're, they didn't look well to them. This is, a, 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 in many cases, 
they had to go from point A to point B, and Samaria was in between. They would go around Samaria. They didn't like Samaritans. Jesus didn't just say, I want you to go to the, your friends and family in Jerusalem and, and your distant family and friends out in uh, Judea. I want you to go to your enemies, too. Samaria. I don't know what your, where our enemies would be today. It's metaphorical, I guess. Maybe you could say America. I don't know. I could say that because I'm American. <laughs> Maybe there's a place in the world that's known for wars and known for raging. You know, they're, they're always at odds with everybody else. Lord, do you want me to, we have to go to them too? Lord. And then if it wasn't bad enough, Jesus just ends by saying, you know what, just go everywhere. The uttermost parts of the world. Not just your neighbor, but all the way across. How do we, how? How do we do that? Jesus backs up maybe and says, remember, I'm going to give you the ability to do that. Yeah, yeah, I remember that, Lord, but, like, how? <laughs> like, you're talking about the whole known world. How is this going to take place? They didn't really know what was to expect. And we know the next chapter, as I just said, Peter starts preaching, and God starts the process. People in multiple languages start listening to him. And guess what? From that one message, we find out later that these people spread and start going all over the known world at that time. People, they were gathered in Jerusalem for a big event, and here they are now being spread abroad. God, God knew what he was saying. He, he knew what was to take place here. How do we today, though, how do, re, how do we reach our Surrey? How do we reach the whole world with the gospel of Christ? Well, we can start by praying. By praying. Matthew 9.38 says, Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving, withal praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak. Paul is telling the, the church in Colossia to pray that God would give us, we're the missionaries, an open door to preach the gospel. Do you pray for lost souls? When was the last time you got on your knees and you begged God to save a family member of yours? Maybe they're living in a different country. Maybe they're living in the same house. I don't know. Or you ask God, Lord, would you give me somebody, somebody that I could witness to today? A co-worker, a friend, Lord, would you give me a burden for somebody that I could pray and see come to church and get saved? Are we praying for the lost? Are you praying for these missionaries? You look on the walls over here, we've got families on the walls. These are people who are, have sold their houses, sold their homes. They're in a different country, a different place right now, and they're trying to start churches. They're trying to win people to Christ. Do you pray for them? We try every couple of Sundays, we put up a, a video that shows an update on some of the missionaries. And back over here against the wall, there's a, there's a bunch of black folders that says missionary letters. When was the last time you opened one of those up and read a missionary letter? Maybe you get emails from your missionaries, and that's good too. Every year around, uh, around the beginning of the year, we have an adopt-a-missionary program where you could select a missionary or two or three and you adopt them as your own for the year, and you pray for that missionary every day. 
Do you pray for your missionary? Do you even remember who they are? Did you forget about them? Do you know how encouraging it is? Myself, as a family, we, we were missionaries when I was a teenager, to get a, an email, a letter saying, hey, you don't know who I am. You don't even know where I'm from, but I pray for you every day. Wow. How do we reach Surrey, BC? How do we reach our Samaria? How do we reach the known world? We can pray. But you know, Philippians chapter 4 also says there's another way we can, we could reach the known world for Christ, and that's also to, to give. To give financially. Philippians chapter 4 verse 14 says, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. In fact, can we turn to Philippians chapter 4 real quick? Philippians chapter 4. We're going to come back to Acts 1. But Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. And verse 14. This is Paul now. He's writing a letter to the church in Philippi. And he's about to compliment them in a great way. Philippians chapter 4. And look in verse 14. The Bible says... Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. He's saying, not one church gave me anything or helped me on my journey except for you. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Paul is saying, I'm a missionary, I'm trying to preach the gospel, you're the only church that gave me anything to help me. And he, you keep reading, he, he goes on to say, I, don't, I wasn't asking for anything, I wasn't asking churches to give me money, so I don't expect them to give me anything. But you, out of your own generosity, your own thoughtfulness, and your desire to see people saved and lives changed, wanted to give me money, not for me, but so that that fruit can be put on our account. You see, you or I today, we maybe can't physically go to, uh, to, to, to countries in Africa or around Indonesia. We can't go to these countries in, in Asia. We could visit a family or friend every once in a while, but we can't dedicate our entire lives but we can, we can help somebody else that, that is, that can. And coming up in a few weeks, we have our annual missions conference. And it's a week-long program, or maybe half a week long, where we focus our attention on missionaries. And we explain this process called Faith Promise Missions. It's an idea where you, you give weekly or monthly to, to, to support these missionaries that goes above your tithes. You, you pay your normal tithes to the Lord, but then also above that, you add some more to support our missionaries all around the world. Say, Pastor Tim, giving 10%, that's our tithe. That, that's already enough. I don't have enough. I don't have the money to give even more monthly or weekly to missionaries. Well, that's why we call it faith promise. You're giving by faith. Paul is thankful for the money that was given to him so that he can continue to go. How do we reach the known world for Christ? We can pray. 
We can give, we can support world missions, missionaries who are going around the world doing maybe what we uh, aren't doing or weren't called to do. And man, let me just say this, there are less and less missionaries every day. Missionaries who get sick, who are, get, who are getting old, who have to come off the fields. And there's very few missionaries, people, replacing them. World mission seems to be decreasing, and that's because of this third reason, this third way that we could reach the known world. It's through praying, through giving, and through going. By you going. You going and being that missionary. Oh, Pastor Tim, I'm too old. I got a family. I got a kid. I just, no, it can't happen. Or, Pastor Tim, I can't. My, my parents wouldn't let me here. Pastor Tim, I just don't have the ability. You, that's true. You don't have the power. You don't have the ability. It's true. You don't have what it takes. But if God is calling you to do something, Mark 16, 14 says, Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them. Verse 15 says, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is a command that God has given us to go and to preach, to preach to Surrey, to preach to, to British Columbia, to your Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. We need to do our part and to ask God, would you call me to be that missionary? Could I go and go to the uttermost parts of the world? Could I be a part of this great commission? God gave them a promise. He also gave them a command to preach. Preaching is not just something for men. The word preach just simply means to herald, to, to tell the good news, the gospel. That's something each of us can do. And preaching isn't talking about pastoring, but just being that witness for God. And then his final statement here, he gives to his disciples. He explains to them that there's a promise, there's a, a, a promise of power, he gives them his command to preach. And then he ends by talking about the fact that there's time that's passing. There's a lack of time. His last statement, he tells them, look in verse 8. Ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. And verse 9, And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. So after he gets done telling them about the command to preach, he's gone. He starts ascending up into heaven, and he's going up and up. And verse 10, And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven, as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. So they've just been given this huge task, this daunting task, to save, to preach the gospel to the whole known world. And as they're just trying to soak this in, Jesus just disappears and starts ascending into heaven. And they're looking up, and they're just, these uh, uh, he's, he's, I mean, they're in awe right now of the task given to them and, and the sight that they're seeing. And they're probably just standing there with their mouth wide open. They're frozen. <laughs> I would be the same way. And as they're looking up, they don't even realize two men in white apparel, messengers of Jesus are there on earth to give the disciples the last message from Christ. One last thing he has for them. As they're standing up there with their mouth gaping open, verse 11, 
hey, uh, you guys that are uh, from Galilee, what, what do you, why are you standing up there? Staring up into heaven, gazing up into heaven. You know, this same Jesus, which is taken up from you into the heavens, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. So as they're standing there, trying to soak in what's happening, two messengers from God, two angels come up and say, hey, hey, are you guys the guys from Galilee? Yeah. Um, Jesus is coming back soon. So, chop, chop. <laughs> Let's go. You can't just stand there with your mouth open. Close your mouth and let's go. Jesus is coming back. Not only is Jesus coming back, but our time to be this witness could come and stop at any moment. He ends with this sense of uncertainty of here's this daunting task, but your task, your mission, your ability to do this could end at any moment. So do it. Go out and be that witness. Preach the gospel. Jesus could come back at any time. Luke chapter 19, verse 13 says, And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Jesus gives this illustration of these servants. This nobleman was about to go out into a country. He gives his servants some, some money. And he says, Hey, while I'm gone, you stay busy. I, get, I have given you talent, I have given you ability, I have given you money, I have given you everything you need to be successful. I'm going to go, and while I'm gone, you stay busy. You occupy till I come. Are we busy for God? We're busy for a lot of things. Some of us work 40, 60 hours a week, and you have to. It's the job that was given to you, perhaps. Some of us are busy with our hobbies, and we've filled our life, and we're constantly busy and they may not even be, you know, on paper, bad things that we're doing. But are we busy for God? Some of us have to schedule and squeeze in church. And even Sunday night church is a bit, is a bit much. Some of us have, and Wednesday night church, uh, that's not even an option. And some of us, our life is almost too busy. And we miss the task at hand. Because not only was there a sense of uncertainty given to the disciples, there's also this sense of urgency. When was the last time you were urgent about something? You were urgent. We can get urgent for a lot of things in life. Ever running late for work? You wake up late in the morning, you're urgent to get to work. And when you're late for work, that's when traffic is just the worst, right? That's when traffic... It's, when you're in a rush, it seems like everyone else, in a, everyone else around you is not in a rush. Even though they probably are, but you're just, you're so hyped up in your mind. It's like, why is this guy going so slow? Honey, he's going the speed limit. Honey, not right now, okay? Why is he going so slow? How come he didn't run that yellow light? Come on, let's go. Sense of urgency. You're late for a doctor's appointment. Are you urgent to get to church? I hope. Honey, we're late. Let's go, let's go. Honey could be guy or girl, by the way. School project, deadline. Got to get that project done. I'm urgent. It's due tomorrow. I had all year to do it. I got tonight to do it now. That sense of urgency. How about feeling hangry? Got to get that food in your belly. Some of us are feeling that right now. What time is it? It's lunchtime. Got to get to the restaurant. Cleaning the house before company comes. Quick, grab the vacuum. Wash the dishes. Throw all the toys in the kids' room. 
It looks the same anyway. When was the last time we were urgent about preaching the gospel before your time runs out? See, I feel like we as Christians, we've lost our purpose for being here on earth. We tell ourselves our purpose is to work hard, to provide for my family, and that's a good thing to do, and you need to provide for your family. But what is your highest priority in life? Is it Christ? Is it fulfilling his last command to us on earth to preach the gospel? What is our, our highest priority in life? Family should be way up there, absolutely providing for them. We have a lot of things high up on the list, but is Jesus Christ is fulfilling the Great Commission, is preaching the gospel, is telling other people about Jesus, is that high on our priority list? Or is it oftentimes a little bit lower? Or is it even on your list at all? We've got Soul Winners Academy coming up, not this Saturday, but the following, and it's a time where we try to take the fear out of spreading the gospel, and we try to give you some easier ways on how to do it, but yet still do it effectively. I challenge you to sign up and come. It's the least we can do. Every Saturday at 10, we have a time for flyering. Maybe Saturdays don't work for you. Throughout the week, if you want to just take a, a stack of gospel tracts and just put them in mailboxes where you live. Come to see myself or Pastor Devi and we can get you set up with that. What's, what's, what's the least we can do for God? And then how do we improve upon that? How do we be the witnesses that God has called us to be? Jesus' last command should be our highest priority. The Great Commission is great. It requires a team effort. All hands need to be on deck. So what are we doing for our Lord Jesus Christ? If you could stand as we close our message time in prayer. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.